0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Canada watches as America goes to the polls. I'm not going to comment uh, the
1: election ongoing in, uh, in the United States. I will say that as a government, our responsibility has been Uh, to be prepared for all different possible
0: eventual outcomes. Peter McKay says he will not run in the next federal election.
1: Peter McKay's got a huge leadership debt and running as an MP and being a a member of parliament as a backbencher in the opposition was not going to pay those debts down. So he has to devote his time to
0: paying those debts. And Yves-Francois Blanchet accuses the government of threatening Quebec's friendship with France. My duty is to tell our sisters and brothers and friends in France that Quebec does not share this opinion being expressed by the Prime Minister of Canada and this is what Assemblée Nationale de Quebec has done this is what the Prime Minister of Quebec has done and I also feel necessary necessary to do it it's Tuesday November the 3rd I'm Mark Sutcliffe let's get right to the top political stories this morning I'm joined by Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. Susan, thank you for being with us.
1: Thank you for having me on this momentous day in democracy.
0: Yeah, and uh, there's also an election in the United States. I'm I'm just kidding. (laughs) 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 So let's talk about that and what it means for Canadians. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot at stake for America, and some would say the world, but... In particular, what's at stake for Canadians in this in this election uh, in America today?
1: Well, every prime minister says it, and they say it for a reason, because it's true. The Canada-U.S. relationship is the most important relationship, the most important job that a prime minister is going to have. And uh, Justin Trudeau was saying this long before he became prime minister. I think he had a lot of plans about what kind of a prime minister he was going to be. Um, positioning himself very much in alliance or in allegiance with with other progressive leaders around the world. And that all fell apart four years ago when Donald Trump, surprisingly, jumped onto the stage and presented an existential threat to Canada-U.S. relations, trying to blow up the free trade deal, constant arguments with Canada. Um, I, I think three things are kind of interesting— as we watch what what happens with Donald Trump tonight. So just to show you how strange or illustrate how strange the Canada-U.S. relationship has been over the past four years, I think we should consider, as we're going into this election right now, the border is closed uh, for longer than it's ever been in history. That's COVID's fault, but it's also the fault of... A very tense and unequal situation right now between Canada and the United States. Canadians want that border to stay closed. Right. We don't have an ambassador. We, we, we. There's uh, Aldona Was is her name. She has been nominated. Her nomination has been held up most of this year in the Senate, uh, and no sign that it's on the way there. Interesting fact: her husband is in charge of the Postal Service, which is playing a bit of a big role in in tonight's drama.
0: Sure. So Yeah. And and maybe tomorrow's is, <laughs> as the mail in ballots come in and are counted. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this is a strange, strange time in Canada US relations. And so I think uh, I wrote today some of the problems of um of trade and tension and the America first sentiments that Trump whipped up. Uh, in the last four years, some of that's not going to go away no matter who wins uh, tonight. Uh, Joe Biden uh, has a, some protectionist impulses as strong as as the Trump base. So our, our troubles aren't over no matter who wins tonight. But I think what Canada is watching for is to see whether the United States, what kind of democratic leadership it's going to provide on the world stage, I don't think they're looking for somebody friendlier, but Trudeau once said that uh, if he had to choose a word to sum up Trump, it would be unpredictable. I think Canada would like a a little more predictable or a little less chaotic a situation with its its closest friend and, and neighbor.
0: Yeah, and I think there is uh there is a more predictable relationship potentially if Joe Biden wins between the Canadian government and the US government, but the potential for there to be volatility and chaos in the United States persists no matter what the outcome tonight, obviously. There's there's still deep yeah. divisions, there are still significant issues in America that don't go away with the outcome of this election. So that will continue to be a theme and Canada will be watching as a nervous neighbour, I think.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Canada has has been um, mentioned a few times in the past. We're kind of playing a cameo role in what is going on down there. First of all, Joe Biden's campaign manager, I think we've talked about this before, uh, is a one General Mally Dillon who advised uh, Trudeau and his leadership team in their run in 2015. And I I take it still has important ties. we saw Obama over the weekend and Joe Biden making references to Canada. at last night on Fox News, Tucker Carlson, I'm told, I wasn't watching it. Somebody sent it to me. Yeah, I saw you tweet um,
0: about this. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Exactly, yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that he was uh, making fun of... The time that Kamala Harris spent in Canada and saying that meant that her accent, her southern accent, was famous. So we're getting all these little tiny shout outs in the final days down there, which, of course, Canadians love. But but I do think a, a huge amount is at stake tonight for Canadians beyond just the spectacle of it.
0: All right, let's turn to some Canadian political stories because there are some that are continuing even as uh, they will be overshadowed in the news cycle today by what's going on in the United States. Uh, Peter McKay, the uh, one-time leadership candidate for the Conservatives who lost to Aaron O'Toole, has decided he's not running in the next federal election. He had had considered it, obviously, uh, and it would have made it for an interesting dynamic with him running as a member of Aaron O'Toole's team, but he's chosen not to do that in Nova Scotia. Uh, what do you think was at the heart of this decision uh, after after losing a leadership race that many thought was his to win?
1: Well, I think we're going to be looking at, you know, in the days ahead, if Peter McKay just doesn't fade away. I think there it, it signals two things. There's one, the practical element, and there's one, the principled or partisan or political one. Two Ps, more many piece the, the practical one is he's got a million dollars in leadership debts and he has to settle those uh, Canada doesn't fool around with leadership debts and and we saw from previous leadership campaigns people can be can be destroyed economically destroyed by trying to pay these back Ken Dryden had a really hard time paying back his leadership debts from the 2011 um, 2006 leadership campaign yeah so peter mckay's got a huge leadership debt and running as an mp and being a, a member of parliament as a backbencher in the opposition was not going to pay those debts down so he has to devote his time to paying those debts he didn't say that in his public statement but what it also tells us is that the the more broadly there still is there was a lot of bitterness in peter mckay camp when aaron o'toole won it was surprising to them and I think there there really is a schism between the new Conservative Party and the old Progressive Conservative Party that Peter McKay represented. And it shows you and this is what we should be watching in the days ahead, is you know, Stephen Harper was able to knit those two together, not always comfortably, but far more comfortably than it looks like is happening now. Is there even an, a progressive conservative element in the con- current conservative party is not clear to anybody. But Peter McKay's departure and his, I, his suggestion that he just wouldn't fit in with an Aaron O'Toole party is is something the new conservative party is going to want want to watch.
0: All right, let's talk about uh, this ongoing battle between the Bloc Québécois on one side and the, and the Liberals on the other. The conservatives have been drawn into this as well. Uh, about the uh, bloc's campaign to have the Trudeau government apologize for the invoking of the War Measures Act by Trudeau's father in 1970. Uh, All kinds of issues have arisen from this, issues of free speech, issues of Canada's relationship or Quebec's relationship with France. Um, So uh, just give us an update on where this stands and what some of the political dynamics are around it.
1: Well, it looks like the bloc is reviving... um this 50-year-old uh, grudge against uh, Pierre Trudeau, to you know, to have a conversation with Justin Trudeau about, and, and they all have the same entry point. It's about how much he supports the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, um, and how you know, what limits does he have on the Charter of Rights, which is a really interesting discussion for Canada to have. Also, a very odd one for Canada, for Quebec to be leading. Given that it has a secularism law that is uh, now uh, yesterday up in court again facing constitutional challenge for limits, limiting the religious rights of people in Quebec, so we are having a Charter of Rights discussion in Canada, which is fascinating. We weren't also uh, tied up with uh, with matters in the United States. It would be neat to pull apart, but but Trudeau is being accused on all sides, of trying to walk down the middle of a perilous middle of freedom of expression. Uh, The the charter enthusiasts are angry that he has not been more forceful about the secularism law, the Bloc, and the Conservatives yesterday in the House of Commons were saying that he was too namby-pamby on Friday about he didn't condemn uh, the violence in France um, enough uh, as a freedom of expression, that, that people should be free. I, and everybody is not looking good in all of this one, too. But it, it is such a Canadian battle, but an interesting one.
0: All right. We will see what happens with that and with the election in the United States today. And uh, it'll be fascinating to see how it all plays out over the next few days. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Mark. I hope we know the result
0: next time we talk. That's my wish. I do, too. (laughs) Thanks, Susan. Thanks. That's Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. And if I don't always play by the rules of Washington and the Washington establishment, it's because I was elected to fight for you, and I fight harder and harder and harder. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail... Andre Picard argues Canada is paying the price for being complacent with COVID-19. Picard writes, If there is one lesson we can learn from countries that have weathered the pandemic best, it is this shut down swiftly and reopen cautiously. Yet time and time again, we do the opposite, and the coronavirus exploits our mistakes with wave after wave of infections. Everyone is tired of this Godforsaken coronavirus but pretending that it will simply disappear is foolhardy. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues Donald Trump must be rejected decisively. The Star writes, U.S. voters must deliver a clear and unambiguous result. A close or uncertain outcome in a few battleground states risks opening the door to a whole new world of pain. Donald Trump has been making it plain for months, that he won't go quietly if the outcome of the election goes against him. For the sake of American democracy, Trump must be not just defeated, but demolished. At National News Watch, Don Lenehan and Andrew Balfour highlight why the U.S. election matters to all of us. They write, With the Trump presidency, American democracy has crossed a new and dangerous threshold. Even the pretense of seeking truth and accommodation are gone. But at the end of a divisive and deadly four years, perhaps Americans have had enough. Many appear desperate to right the ship. Today, they will make their decision, while the rest of the free world watches and waits. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will speak with the media, along with Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland and Small Business Minister Mary Ng. The Prime Minister will also attend Question Period. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will hold a news conference to discuss his party's opposition day motion. Small Business Minister Mary Ng will launch Canada's first-ever virtual trade mission to South Korea for women entrepreneurs. And Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will announce funding to protect the health and safety of agricultural workers in Quebec. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, November the 3rd. Tune into primetime politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.